Hello and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Thanks so much for joining today. We had a few weeks off. I had a crazy time. Unfortunately, we had a death in the family and then we had issues with childcare because of COVID. So I apologize for a slight delay in getting these podcasts to you. But I have an amazing podcast today and I have about four more interviews set up this week and I have other topics that I'm going to talk through. So I'm very excited to have stuff for you through the end of the year. And then I also want to tell you about a a free Facebook group that Greenleads has, which you can join and interact with other plant-based athletes. So I'm going to put the link for that down in the description and you can join. And today we're talking about mountain sports. We have a dietitian on named Vic Johnson who specializes in nutrition for mountain sports. If you're wondering what exactly are mountain sports, well, it's one of the first questions that I asked him, but it's about trail running, ultra runners, cyclists, climbers, downhill skiers, anything that gets you outdoors and is not necessarily done on the road, but done in the mountains. So we had a really interesting talk. I think you're going to like it and let's jump right in. Hi, Vic. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too, because you have a really specific niche that we don't see that often. I actually got an email from someone the other day saying that they see so much about nutrition for runners, but they were actually a hiker and they were asking, could I help them? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I know some of that, but that's specifically what you do, right? You could, you could call yourself a mountain sport nutritionist. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I primarily work with outdoor athletes. Um, I do feel like there are a lot of uh, sports nutritionists out there, which is awesome or, or sports dietitians. Um, but I decided I wanted to work with, uh, athletes who are doing the things that I particularly love to do. Um, so most of my athletes are ultra and trail runners, um, endurance cyclists. So mountain bikers, um, cyclocross, uh, gravel cyclists. Um, I work with triathletes a lot as well. Um, and then climbers, skiers, hikers, bike packers, any anything that's you know outdoor adventure related um, or outdoor endurance sport related, that's kind of my jam. So And you grew up, do you, we were talking a little before. You said you grew up in Utah. Grew up in Utah. Yep. So we grew up, we've been so lucky. You don't realize how lucky you are until you move away for a time, but we you know, it's, it's five minutes to so many different trailheads and amazing mountains here. We live right on the front of the, the Wasatch range. And there's, you know, my city where I'm at Orem, there's two massive mountains that just tower over the city, uh, over 10,000 feet each. And so it's, it's a really cool place to play. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful states. I, I was telling you that I grew up skiing there, even though I'm from New York. My dad was always like, and we have Vermont nearby, but it's about a four-hour drive. And my dad would always say, I'd rather fly four hours to Utah than drive four hours to Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> so I I love it. And I it's so cool that you work with those kinds of athletes. And another thing that spoke to me is you are vegan, correct? I am. Yeah. I yeah, I'm I'm vegan, plant-based, plant-centered, however you want to say it. Um have been for probably 14 or 15 years. Um, 
And my motivations to do so have kind of shifted and changed and expanded and grown throughout the years. Um, and I work with athletes from all different, you know, dietary backgrounds. Uh, uh, they don't have to be vegan or plant-based to work with me, but a lot of the athletes who I do work with come to me because they want to know how to fuel and like fuel on a plant centered diet or like leaning into the plants, but also still know how to do that as an athlete. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one of my, I would say that would even need me even more <laughs> to, uh, to have that outdoor aspect, outdoor athlete aspect. And then on top of that, more, more into the plant-based uh, nutrition as well. That's exactly the same here. I've been yeah. plant-based for uh, it's over a decade. And I was, I, I won't work with anyone obviously, but I, and I wasn't really even targeting plant-based athletes, but then people kept coming to me for that because there's not a lot of people who understand how to fuel for sport on a plant-based diet. Cause it definitely yeah. has some nuances and yeah. yeah, they started coming to me for that. And I was like, all right, I can definitely help with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. Yeah. So, uh, how do you, you said you've been doing it for 14 years. Do you, what, if you don't mind me asking, what prompted you to go vegan? Yeah, no, of course. So, uh, yeah, I was in high school. So, yeah, it's been 14 or 50. I can't remember exactly, but around that same amount of time. Um, and I was running track and cross country, kind of looking for anything to improve my performance. Um, I was, like, really into it. And my mom who had eaten a plant-based diet for like 30 years or something like that. She's like ultra health lady. Um, she was like, well, why don't you focus on your nutrition? Not necessarily telling me to like go vegan, but why don't you like focus on your fueling and see if that would help? And, you know, I was 16. I was like, I, I, I had never really put that together that like food, you know, it matters when it comes to athletic performance. And so I started paying attention and, and I, and, and because, you know, my mom was helping me, that was more of a plant-based approach. Um, and I just kind of tried it for, you know, a couple of weeks and I felt great. I, I felt more energized. I felt, um, I, I don't know if this is a good way, but, but I felt lighter, like I felt quicker and, and yeah, more energized. I felt like my recovery, uh, was better in between like my practices, um, at school and everyone was, you know, concerned that I was doing this, like coaches included, like, oh no, you're going to like waste away. And, and I can see, I can totally see why, especially now being a nutrition coach, like people can do it wrong and kind of mess themselves up if they're not doing it right. I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Um, and, and I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I had some guidance from my mom, uh, but I, I started looking into the research, like at a pretty young age, like, all right, I want to do this right. I want to make sure that I'm you know, getting all of the macronutrients and micronutrients that I need in the amounts that I need them. And people would ask me questions. Well, you know, where do you get your protein? And what about calcium if you're not drinking milk and all these sorts of things? And I didn't know, I didn't have answers. And so that kind of pushed me into looking into more of the research and literature on it. 
And I just became fascinated with nutrition and, and I feel like having like kind of being the odd one out in the way that I ate almost made it like made me kind of double down even like on like really knowing my stuff and like, like looking into what science is actually saying about nutrition. Um, and that, yeah, that was kind of how I started uh, becoming interested in nutrition specifically for athletes and it within the plant-based um, realm. That's awesome because then it means that you were looking into science-based stuff, not just trends that were out there. And, you know, 14, 15 years ago, things were different. It wasn't that easy to get information and there wasn't that many people doing it. Now I feel like there's too much information, but that's a, that's a conversation for another day. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's awesome. I love that. And then now that you're working with mountain sports, um, I guess I want to kind of talk about that a little and how that differs from, I live in New York city, right? So most of the stuff that I do is I do road racing. If I ride a bike, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's funny because people call the hill there. What do they even call it? Heartbreak Hill? No, that's in Boston. There's like a very small hill that people (laughs) complain about and it's nothing. And I have a friend from Colorado who tells me that she does 14ers. And I was like, does that mean 14 miles? Cause I don't even know. Uh, That's, you know, that's where we're at as a, as a new, a city athlete. So how does it differ when you're talking about mountain sports? Yeah, totally. So, um, I feel like, you know, I was kind of talking about the types of athletes that I work with uh, earlier and yeah, it's, it's really just this love for, I feel like mountain athletes have kind of this love for the outdoors and not that other athletes don't have that, but I feel like that's one of the main draws to even doing the sport. So many athletes are looking at, you know, they, they get a kick out of the competitiveness and, and pushing themselves and the health aspects and all of that is awesome. And, and I feel like most of the athletes that I work with also have that. Um, but for me in particular, just being out in the mountains is like, one of the reasons why I work out every day. Like it's almost to the point, like I did a road run this morning because the trails are really muddy right now. Um, cause it's weirdly warm the last couple of days. Um, and there's almost some days where if, if it's like, I can't, if I can't get out into the mountains and like do something up there, that it's almost like, oh, I don't really feel like working out today. Cause it's like, <laughs> cause it's like so fun to just be out there. And even so many of my runs are, are like short, like two, three mile runs that end up like being bushwhacks where I'm like scaling some side of this mountain or cliff and like bushwhacking through the, through the undergrowth and just like exploring. And I love that aspect of mountain sports. I feel like there's, there's kind of this bigger picture of, of love, of just moving in nature and moving in, you know, through like wild, rugged terrain. Um, so yeah, hopefully that kind of answers your question. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I actually sprained my ankle like two years ago. And I remember the physical therapist telling me that I could do the elliptical and I was like, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna, not. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. just not do anything. Cause I feel that way too. If I'm in a gym or something, it's just not, as enjoyable yeah Yeah. but i i think also 
the intensity and duration of what you do is probably different as well. Yeah. Most of the athletes that I work with are definitely endurance athletes, which there's different, you know, if you look in the research, there's, there's different definitions of what endurance is. Like some, some research articles will look at like muscular endurance and that's like anything longer than I don't know, 30 seconds or something, you know? So, um, but most of the athletes that I work with are doing like the races and events that they're doing are usually, you know, 50 K and up. So, you know, 30 plus miles of whatever it is, whether that's biking or running or, you know, half Ironman or, or an Ironman. Um, and not that I won't work with athletes who are doing shorter, um, events, but most of the, most of the athletes that I work with are doing, spending long days in the mountains or wherever they're playing, you know, in the desert or, um, you know, water sports. Sometimes I'll work with water sports athletes as well. Um, and it's, it's usually hours and hours and hours of endurance. So how, how does the nutrition play into that then in terms of, I talked to a dietitian, uh, recently who worked with ultra runners and she was telling me that it's not just about carbs. There's other things that come into play. It's kind of almost more complicated than what just road runners need to know. It certainly can be. And, and honestly, there's very little research on nutrition for ultra endurance athletes. Um, there's a ton of research on like marathoners and half marathoners, which is awesome. And honestly, most of that stuff can still apply for the longer, you know, longer duration things. Um, but some of it, you can't just say, okay, well, this is double a marathon length. So I'm going to just double my nutrition plan and call it good. Um, one of the biggest things that I see is as you know, as, as an event or as an adventure gets longer, basically you're, you're, you're facing more time for problems to come up. Right. And so if gastrointestinal issues are to a certain degree during a marathon, well, during an ultra marathon, they're going to be even more severe or more chance of those happening. Right. Um, so things like carbohydrate fueling, well, yeah, maybe during a marathon, we're shooting for, you know, 60 to 90 grams of carbs per hour, wherever the athlete is, you know, um, well, during an ultra marathon, let's say you're 18 hours into a hundred mile race, you, you're, it, it's really hard to throw down hour after hour after hour of 90 grams of carbs per hour. Like, even though you know, theoretically you have the transporters in your digestive system to make that happen. It's just hard on the athlete and, and palatability issues. And so that's one example of, well, that's something that, you know, we need to train the gut so that, yeah, we can maximize carbohydrate intake, but going into it, realizing that, yeah, maybe we're not going to be able to do, you know, be quite as aggressive as, you know, maybe a more short, shorter distance race or event. Um, and then there's other changes as well. Just like you're saying it, it, uh, you know, it's not solely carbs, right. During a lot of those events, you're not at the highest intensity the whole time. Um, you're, you know, if you're talking zones, you're spending a lot of time in zone two, um, for an ultra marathon, for example, or, or on the bike. 
And for anyone who doesn't know what is zone two. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, there's lots of different ways for people to kind of to describe their effort during workouts or races. Um, uh, one of the biggest ways is looking at heart rate, right? And so heart rate zones where you look at uh, your maximum and then you kind of divide it into these different, these five different zones. So lower intensity would be zone, zone one, uh, moderate intensity would be zone two and three, and then higher intensity would be like zone four and five. Um, and you can also look at that in like perceived effort as well. Um, and so a lot of ultra marathon running is spent in kind of that zone two, zone three, uh, area of, of heart rate. And in those zones, you are actually using a lot more fat than you are in the very high intensity. So maybe someone running a marathon and, you know, if they're, you know, a podium spot marathoner, they're going to be running that at a really, really high, uh, fast pace, right? Well, low pace, high speed. Um, and that's going to be mostly using carbohydrate, pretty much predominantly using carbohydrate. However, at those lower intensities, you're using a lot of fat. Um, and that's mostly fat that's already stored, right? That's mostly fat that's that's in your cells already. Um, triglycerides that your body's breaking down. And so some, some athletes will say, well, if I'm burning all that fat, then I need to be taking in a bunch of fat during that workout. And that's not necessarily true. It, 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 maybe it's not going to hurt anything as long as it's not way too much fat. Um, but usually your body's going to be burning that fat that, uh, is already stored anyway. And so the focus is still mostly on carbohydrate as to what you should be taking in every hour. Um, but you have this knowledge that, yeah, okay, my body is still using a lot of fat as well. Um, and you can actually train your body to become a little bit better at that as well. I was going to ask you about the intensity and the different nutrients, because I was also thinking of cycling or mountain biking. You're going up, obviously, but then there's parts where you're coming down and the same thing with probably downhill skiing. And so I would think most of the mountain sports kind of have those peaks and valleys in terms it of is. your intensity. It is totally. And, and you kind of have to take that into account where, you know, you are burning fat for those lower intensity times, but especially during a race, maybe you're going to have to push and pass someone and, and really, you know, you're redlining for a couple minutes while you're pass, passing this person and you absolutely need carbs in the tank if you're going to be able to do that. And so there's kind of this, this uh, belief, especially among endurance athletes, I see it among cyclists a ton that, you know, becoming fat adapted is this kind of new thing. Um, and essentially what they're trying to do is help their bodies become better at burning fat, right? Utilizing fat as a fuel source. Um, but then if they're, if they're just doing fat, then yeah, maybe they're really, really good at those lower intensities and they can keep those up. But during a race or during an event, you have to be at some of those higher intensities, at least a, a decent portion of the time. And so if there's no carbs in the tank, then then that person's not going to be able to actually perform at that higher level. Um, so that's something interesting with, with fat adaptation. 
Yeah, and I think most of the research I've seen on fat fat adaptation is really in very elite athletes. And I think people don't realize that that doesn't always translate to, I mean, obviously if you're running an ultra or you're doing one of these events, you're still in the top tier of athletes, but not necessarily competing for a living. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You might not be a sponsored athlete. And honestly, you know, there's different ways of becoming fat adapted and like doing that. One of the most aggressive ways of doing that is, you know, going on a ketogenic diet, a very high fat, low carb diet. And basically your body will become really good at burning whatever you're giving it. Um, so that's super aggressive. And obviously there's other, you know, uh, variables that one should look at as far as overall health goes, if they're looking at a very high fat diet, um, at least be aware of those possible side effects, such as, you know, increased LDL cholesterol, um, something that we probably don't want to happen. Um, so that's a very aggressive way of doing it. You can also do, you know, fasted workouts. That's a really popular one right now. Um, the problem with that, that I see with a lot of athletes is that they're under fueling in the first place. They're not reaching enough calories on a day-to-day basis. And then if they're going on their run or their workout in the morning fasted, uh, then they're just contributing to that deficit even more. And there can be big consequences that, that come down the road because of that. Um, another technique is uh, like some athletes will even not eat dinner. And so overnight their liver glycogen will go super low. Um, and then they'll not eat breakfast and go on their workout, go do their workout at a high intensity. And so then, you know, they're using all their muscle glycogen as well, and they're doing it at a high intensity. And it basically just feels like you're bonking the whole time because, you know, you're, you're really low energy and, and that's a really aggressive thing. I've only ever worked with a very few athletes who, where they are at that very high percentage, where maybe one to 2% increase in performance would actually make a difference for them. But for most of us who are out there just to have a good time, it's not worth any of those possible, you know, side effects to, to chase this fat adaptation thing. I know when you were talking about that, I was just thinking that's basically just torturing yourself. You're yeah, starving oh, all night, yeah. <laughs> starving throughout your workout. It's not even fun anymore. It's no, just, exactly. So, yeah. so let's, how does this translate to food in terms of what I know for marathoners, for instance, a lot of times they're doing gels or gummies and, but this is more food based. So what exactly do you recommend for people doing these kinds of sports that they take with them? Yeah. And I guess they have to carry it too, right? So it has to be like portable, but also something that they can take in. Yeah. So luckily most events, unless it's like a self-supported type adventure event, uh, there's usually aid stations or feed zones in the cycling world. Um, you know, every five to 15 miles longer in, in cycling, you know, they're more spaced out in cycling. Um, And so every, you know, hour to two hours, you're coming up to a place that has, it has water, it has, um, carbo, tons of different carbohydrate sources, electrolyte sources, stuff like that, you know, blister kits, things like that, uh, for, for ultra marathons. Um, and so luckily you don't have to carry everything always, 
That being said, most of the athletes that I work with have kind of, or, or get to the point where they're used to certain products and using certain fueling sources. And so they don't want to switch that up on race day. And so a lot of times they will be carrying more of that with them. Um, what I usually see with my athletes and recommend everyone's a little bit different with what they prefer and what they can tolerate. Um, but you have to hydrate no matter what. Right. And so one of the, one of kind of the, the baseline things that I always say that I I suggest that my athletes do this is if they're hydrating anyway, you might as well be getting carbs with that hydration. Um, so sports drinks, even something like, you know, Gatorade, um, or uh, Tailwind or Scratch Labs. There's tons of different brands and it's mostly just glucose and fructose um, in, uh, you know, varying forms. And they there's usually electrolytes in those drinks as well. So that's one thing that I always recommend uh, that my athletes do. And what about food? What kind of food do they, or do they do the food or? Yeah. Yeah. So food, um, a lot of them will also do gels just like you would in a marathon. Um, there's like goo brand gels and those, they work like they're okay. I feel like they're ultra sweet and syrupy and like, I personally don't like them, but there are people that love them and do them for hour after hour and it's, it works great for them. Um, I usually recommend, uh, more of like a, there's, there's some like whole food ish gels, like spring energy is a really good one that I always recommend. It's made from like rice and fruit. Um, that tastes really good and seems to go down really smooth. Isn't like ultra sweet. Um, and then there's another one that is uh, Martin, um, and they make drinks and gels. I really like those as well, but those can also be pretty expensive too. Um, so really most of my athletes are doing those like on their longer training sessions or during races, you know, if it's just a short workout, they're, they're usually just popping, you know, half a banana before they go out or something like that. Um, but on the longer stuff too, just like you're saying, food is a big deal because eventually you're going to get tired of these sweet, ultra sweet, uh, you know, gels and drinks and stuff. And you still need to be taking in calories. You still need carbs. And so a lot of times the aid stations will actually have real food, whether that's like ramen soup or uh, quesadillas. Some, uh, there's actually a cool brand or a, a company uh, that puts on races in Arizona, Aravipa Racing. Um, and they even have like vegan quesadillas and stuff. Um, a lot of these uh, aid stations will have like salted potatoes, like boiled potatoes dipped in salt, um, sandwiches, you can PBJs, pretzels, um, fruit. A lot of them will have like watermelon or orange slices, bananas, um, and then also just a crazy assortment of candy, you know, gummy worms, gummy bears, Skittles, M&Ms, those sorts of things as well. And so a lot of times, you know, if if your original plan isn't working and you're tired of what you've been eating, you can roll into an aid station and be like, all right, what here looks good? And it's almost this buffet of like carbohydrate rich foods. Um a lot of my athletes, if they do want to carry their own real food, they'll do like applesauce packets um, 
or uh, mashed potatoes works great. Mashed potatoes in a Ziploc baggie. That honestly works really well. Um, tortillas work pretty well too. You can kind of fold those up and, you know, put them in your vest or your, your pack or whatever. Um, so there's lots of different, you know, real foods that you can fuel with as well. At the end of the day, it's really the athlete needs carbs. Um, and they're burning all of that, that body fat as well. So they need carbs, they need calories, whatever form they tolerate. I say, great, go with that, whatever you're going to tolerate for a long time. Yeah. That's what I was thinking is you probably have to practice with some of the foods. So it's gotta be something simple that you can bring with you. So Yeah, I was thinking like PB and J. If I, I I'm never gonna do this, but if I were ever gonna do it, I would do a PB. <laughs> never and say J. never. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, I also want to. My kind of the last thought I had on this is the elements. So when you're out there, you have to deal with probably extreme heat or sometimes cold, because um, especially with the mountain. So how does that does that play a part in nutrition? It certainly can, especially with hydration. Um, you know, if it is extra hot and you're out there for a really long time, you're going to be sweating more. You're going to be losing fluid and sodium. Usually the body can keep up with sodium on its own, unless it's pretty extreme. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'll even do sweat testing with a lot of my athletes to kind of see, and it's not an exact science or anything like that, but to see roughly kind of the range of fluid that they're losing in their sweat. So we'll have them try and do a longer workout in conditions that are similar to what the race is going to be, which is really hard to do, right? Because, you know, maybe it's perfect weather when you're training and then all of a sudden it's, you know, way hotter when you're on the run or way colder or whatever. Um, And so trying to dial in hydration is huge for the elements. And just as a reminder, as it's getting cold, a lot of people forget to hydrate as well, because uh, you don't really feel like drinking as much when it's cold, um, but you are still, and maybe you're not sweating quite as much, but uh, you're still losing a lot of water, even in in your, your breath, right? Water vapor. Um, and so it's really important to stay hydrated, um, even in the cold. And then electrolytes as well can change, uh, you know, if someone's just sweating a ton, I always say, yeah, take something with electrolytes, even if we don't know exactly how much sodium you're using, you're losing, maybe your body's keeping up with that on its own. It very well could be, but almost as an insurance policy, it's, it's kind of a good idea in extreme, uh, heat specifically to, to make sure that you're taking in something with electrolytes. So whether that's sodium tablets um, or something, you know, most, most gels and sports drinks have that in them as well. Um, so that's something that I would definitely, um, pay attention to. It's also something with the, the elements that's interesting is, you know, as it gets hotter, usually our carbohydrate needs increase. Um, and you usually feel like eating less, which is kind of this ironic thing. And so that's when it's really hot, athletes struggle a lot of times to get in adequate amounts of both fluid and, and calories. Um, so that's something that's important to practice. And then at elevation as well, carbohydrate need tends to go up too. So, and you also feel like eating less. So it's, it's kind of this 
this tricky thing where you should be getting in more, but you don't feel like it. That's interesting. I didn't think about the elevation. And I, I actually remember reading something about uh, your taste receptors for sweet are heightened when you're, I think, sweating a lot or something. So, and it's, you're taking in so much of it, it's, it gets so sweet and it makes you want uh, less of it. It really does. It's weird. It's kind of this, yeah, this, this opposite thing that you would think some, some athletes, if they just can't get anything down, um, you know, and they're feeling nauseated and you really can't do it. There's actually some research suggesting that you can even do a mouth rinse with mm. like a sweet drink. And that kind of tricks your body at least momentarily to thinking, Oh, I've got more carbs on board now, even though you actually don't, you're not ingesting any of that. You're just rinsing and spitting it out, but it tricks your body to think, Oh, I've got more carbs. I can keep going and keep pushing a little harder for at least a little while longer. Which yeah. Is kind that's of, kind of very cool. interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Last question is supplements. I get a lot of questions about supplements. Are there any that you recommend? And I know a lot of times we're food first uh, and totally. it's cool if you don't recommend any, but just, <laughs> So it's just a question people tend to ask. No, I definitely do. Um, and I don't do so blindly as I'm sure, you know, you try not to do as well. Definitely a food first approach. Um, but then if we suspect that given the athlete's diet, that they may be low in something or most of my athletes, we do blood work right at the beginning of our, our, you know, program as well. Um, and so we're looking at some of those, we're looking at vitamin D levels. Um, we're looking at B12 and things like that. We're looking at iron so we can kind of see where they're at before we're just like, oh yeah, I'm going to put all my athletes on an iron supplement, you know? Um, so I like to have that data first before I just kind of blindly recommend supplements. Um, However, that being said, especially with plant-centered athletes, well, really all of my athletes, I always do a B12 that, I mean, we do look at their levels first and usually they're already on a B12 supplement. Um, everyone's so low on that and there's really no danger in taking a supplement hardly ever. And so that's one that I, that I usually recommend. Um, and then vitamin D, especially in the winter uh, getting in a good vitamin D supplement can be really helpful. Um, and a lot of athletes are surprised by that because they're like, well, I'm outside all the time, you know, getting sunlight. Uh, but especially if they're a Caucasian athlete, like we're just not very efficient at creating that vitamin D on our own. So that's one that I would recommend. And then, uh, especially for my vegan plant-based athletes, an omega-3 long chain omega-3 EPA DHA um, is one that I'll usually recommend as well because they can be low in that. And that certainly doesn't hurt to have, you know, an algae oil supplement or something like that, or even some of my athletes will do, you know, fish oil as well, but might as well get it from the algae because that's where the fish are getting it in the first place, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I always talk about vitamin D, whether you eat meat or not, most people oh, yeah. don't. Most people are deficient in vitamin D at some point in their life. Okay. And it's interesting how I feel like people don't talk about it as much. But anyway, so those are really good recommendations. And I, uh, I this has been such an interesting chat. I feel like anyone who 
really is into these sports needs to follow you and <laughs> even work with you. So where can they find more from you? So I'm trying to post frequently on Instagram, um, mountain sports nutritionist. Um, I also have a website, mountain sports nutrition. It's MTN sports nutrition.com. Um, that's where people can, you know, you can DM me on Instagram. That works great too, but you can go and, you know, sign up for a free discovery call. If you're interested in coaching on the website, um, and so, yeah, those are kind of my two main avenues of, of how people can get a hold of me. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for chatting today. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been super enjoyable. Awesome. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.